0: Pack Day Podcast.
1: What's up, Packer fans? Welcome back to the Pack a Day Podcast. I'm your host Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. Thanks so much for joining me today. Please make sure to subscribe if you have not already. But let's jump right into our main topic today, and that is a list of the Packers' mistakes so far this off season. Now, I want to go over a couple caveats to this before we get started. A, as most of you know, I am a glass half full sort of person. And I am legitimately telling you, I actually really like what Green Bay has done this off season. And I think they've really given themselves a very well-rounded roster. I'm excited to see what the offense is going to do. I'm excited to see what the defense is going to do. I'm excited to see what Rich Passaccia and the special teams can do with the abysmal special teams unit from a season ago and what improvements they can make there. I am legitimately, legitimately excited about this upcoming season. I think they did the best they possibly could have with the Devontae Adams situation. There is a lot, and I mean a lot, that I like about this offseason, and maybe at some point I will put together my 10 favorite things of this offseason. That's certainly within the realm of possibility as well. But there are some things that I think have been a couple stumbling points or mistakes up until this point, and that is my other key caveat here, and that it is, what, May 29th, Memorial Day weekend, and the offseason is not over yet. So maybe you could argue, hey, Andy, why don't you do this, you know, in like end of July or like August when the off season's actually over? Okay, we certainly could have. But um, I actually saw sometimes, you know, like the... Inspiration for these episodes comes in a variety of different ways. I saw somebody post an article that said, "Yeah, I think Green Bay's three biggest mistakes this offseason," or something like that. I didn't have a chance to read it, but it gave me the inspiration to be like, "Okay, what maybe mistakes has Green Bay made this offseason?" So that was my inspiration for this uh, specific, you know, podcast, and I figured I would go through and review what I thought have been some mistakes up until this point. And again, I just want to say one more time, it's not to say that they couldn't remedy. All of these mistakes, for the most part, uh, still this off season. So let's just jump in and go over and start with number one, and that's not addressing the depth in the secondary. And I've covered this at some length uh, in a recent video, but I do think that there is a overall lack of depth in the secondary. And I know that people have dragged me a little bit to say, like, "Hey, Andy, if your sixth defensive back is your concern, you don't really have a concern." And I understand that to some extent, except for the fact that you have five starters in the secondary in today's NFL. You are playing nickel as your starting defense, and you will play some six defensive backs. And yes, Kayshawn Nixon could be that six defensive back. Uh, that's certainly within the realm of possibility, but... After those first five, which are a really good top five in Amos and Savage and Jair and Stokes and Douglas, that is a really, really good top five. Maybe the best starting secondary in all of football, maybe the best five in football. So when it's within the realm of possibility, right? But you are an injury away at any given point. To having a huge target on whoseever back is coming in to fill in, whoever that is, whether it's Amos or Savage that goes down, whether it's Stokes or Jair or Douglas that goes down, whoever of those five would get injured, the next person up, whether that's a Tariq Carpenter, whether that's Vernon Scott, whether that's Sean Davis, whether that's Kayshawn Nixon, whether that's Shamar John Charles, whoever it is, has a huge bullseye on them immediately because your other four are good. And now you have this player that comes in and has to play a lot of snaps and is going to have a bullseye on them. And we don't know. And I don't even think the Packers can arguably say that they know if any of their remaining depth on the secondary is up for that challenge. Now, Green Bay is a franchise that is chock full of defensive backs who have come out of nowhere and at least been serviceable at points, right? Whether it's Sam Shields, Tremont Williams, who were far more than serviceable, who came out of completely nowhere, you know, even to some extent, right, a Ladarius Gunter who know you never want him starting in your NFC championship game, but for an undrafted free agent certainly played a significant role, uh, at times in that secondary for better or worse at times, but like, you know, they have found guys, Lindsey Pipkins pitched in a little bit here and there, like they, Shannon Sullivan's another great example, They have been able to find these undrafted diamonds in the rough. So who knows if there's another player, maybe a KB is on the roster that they feel really good about. Maybe Rico Gafford making that change back from wide receiver to corner, they feel really good about. There could be a player in the secondary, Vernon Scott, I just talked about the other day, that they feel a lot better about than we know. And maybe there is a safety like Vernon Scott Tariq Carpenter and a corner like Kayshawn Nixon or Shamar Jean Charles, who is ready to step up and take the reins, at least as that next guy up. But I do think as of this point, they are lacking in depth in the secondary. And I do think that has the potential to be a mistake. And because heaven forbid, too, like that's if like one guy goes down. But what if one of your corners and your safeties go down? Now you go from a real position of you know dominant strength. To arguably a position of weakness. So I do think they still could use more depth in the secondary. And up until this point, I do think that is a mistake. Number two, more competition on special teams. And I'm specifically talking about the specialists here. Mason Crosby's coming off one of the worst seasons of his career. You know, Corey Bajorquez is gone. In comes Pat O'Donnell. I hate to say this, but Pat O'Donnell has been nothing but mediocre to bad through the entirety of his career up until this point. I love that he's a great holder. I love that he's kicked in poor conditions. I love that he's kicked in the NFC North and knows these stadiums. But outside of that, he just hasn't been a very good punter. And then at long snapper, you're still got, you know, you still have Steven Wordle and then you bring in Jack Coco, uh, who's an undrafted guy. But I just would have liked to have seen a bit more competition at punter. That's great. Bring in Pat O'Donnell. But then draft one of the, you know, almost what, three or four, I think it was four punters that were drafted or bring in at least another layer of competition there. Dominic Eberly, I'm not super confident is the competition that Mason Crosby needs at kicker. And again, Steven Wordle and Jack Coco aren't exactly, I'm not even going to say they're good, bad or indifferent because I have no freaking clue. I'm not even going to pretend that I know how they are from a long snapper standpoint, but I know that Steven Wordle wasn't good a season ago. And I just would have liked to have seen a bit more competition. If you don't want to be a laughing stock on special teams, you need to have good specialists. It needs to start there and I'm just not confident that Green Bay has those. So that would have been a really nice place to start. We'll see what Coco and Wordle and Eberle and O'Donnell can potentially bring to the table and if Crosby can bounce back, but I don't feel super confident about the specialists that Green Bay has brought in up until this point. Number three, and these are not in any specific order, not adding a more surefire weapon to the offense. And let me start by saying here, I like the weapons on offense and I'm excited about Watson and Toure and Dobbs and even Sammy Watkins, Amari Rogers in his second season, Randall Cobb, Malik Taylor, like, you know, even guys like Juwan Winfrey, there are a plenty of players on this roster that I'm incredibly excited to see what they can do, but I don't think there there's any one receiver, Al Lazard, et cetera, that you can point to on this roster right now and be like... You can chalk them up for 75 catches, 1,400 yards, and 10 touchdowns. Or even like, I don't know that there's one that you can point to and say they're for sure getting 60, a 1,007. Like, I'm not sure there's that guy on this roster. Same at tight end. And yes, I like the weapons at running back, but overall in the receiving game, it just felt like you needed at least one fairly surefire player. And they have a ton of options. And it's well within the realm of possibility that one of those guys steps up and becomes that guy, whether it's Watkins or Lazard or Watson or Dobbs or Amari or whom, you know, who knows? Maybe Tunyon comes back and has a massive season. Difficult to say. But you would have liked to have had somebody out of that Devontae Adams trade or in a separate trade or in a separate, separate transaction, free agent signing, et cetera, that you could point to and be like, all right, third and 13, game on the line, I feel fairly confident that X player can get open. I'm just not sure Green Bay has that player right now, and that could, come playoff time, end up being a mistake. Number four, failing to get a veteran swing tackle this has been something that Brian Gutekunst has really prioritized over the last few seasons while Matt LaFleur has been here. Jared Valdeer, Rick Wagner, Dennis Kelly. In each of the last three seasons, he's gone out at some point, and some of those were in, like Valdir was in season, if, if memory serves correct. Um, he's gone out and gotten a veteran swing tackle to be able to help this team should crap happen. And you could make an argument That, hey, like any veteran swing tackle that we're going to bring in at the price that we can afford, the odds that they're that much better than a Yash Nyman as a swing tackle, like you could argue either way. And with more practice reps, Nyman might end up even better. And I I could buy that as an argument. My difficulty I have is that Elton Jenkins is going to be out a decent chunk of this season. David Bakhtiari is still rehabbing his injury. There just seems to be. The lack of overall depth at tackle. Like, if all of a sudden you're starting Yash at left tackle and like a Sean Ryan at right tackle, that feels a heck of a lot different than Bakhtiari at left and Elton at right, right? And just having an extra layer of a veteran presence there who can be that guy, even if it's off the bench, even if you start Sean Ryan at right tackle and have to start Yash at left, even to have somebody that can back up and be that next guy up, to me, is an important thing to have. And it was very important with Rick Wagner for that offense two years ago. It was very important with Dennis Kelly to have that last year. Um, Jared Valdeer played towards the end of the season when it was really important. Like They've had that guy and it's really paid dividends. So to not have that guy this year is definitely a little bit concerning. And again, I think that could be a mistake for this team. All right. Next up is picking up the fifth year option on Darnell Savage. This might be a slightly controversial one because there's a little polarizing feel on Darnell Savage. I'm not a let me start by saying this. I was a really big Darnell Savage guy coming out of college. I thought he really was going to play a major role on this team. As a rookie, I graded him as a negative 3.4 player, which is a below average player. In his second year, I had him as a plus 4.65, which is a really, really good player, especially at safety. Last year, a negative 4.15. So we had a below average year, an above average year, and a below average year. And I question as to whether or not the consistency with Darnell Savage is there, especially with what he put on tape this last season. If you don't want to believe me, Pro Football Focus had a similar grade. They had more of an average grade on him as a uh, rookie, then they had a slightly above average grade on him as a sophomore, and then a slightly below average grade on him this past season, but a 58.4 grade this last year. So not too dissimilar from what I had we've basically been in lockstep with Savage, uh, Pro Football Focus and I, and it just hasn't been consistent. And you don't know what you're going to get week in and week out. There are plays where he will make where you're like, okay, he's getting it, he's playing aggressive, he's playing fast, and he's using that speed that he has. And there's other plays where you can just see him still thinking and diagnosing, taking a poor angle, missing a tackle, and you just want to see a bit more consistency there. And a fifth-year option is a... Fairly expensive proposition for the safety position. Now, they'll have some opportunities to extend or rework that later where it's not quite as expensive, but based on the body of work from Savage so far, that's probably not a deal that I would have done. Now, I will gladly tell you up front that I hope I am incredibly wrong on this, and I do still think there is a lot of good in Darnell Savage to the point where he could become not only a good safety in this league, but a very good safety in this league. We just haven't seen it consistently yet. And that clicks at different times for different players. And now, hopefully, in the second year of Joe Barry's defense, playing next to Adrian Amos again, like hopefully it clicks and he gets it, and this is his breakout season. Nobody would love that more than me. I would love to see Savage have a huge breakout. I just would have liked to have seen a bit more consistency up until this point in order for him to get that fifth year option. Because to me, if he plays amazing in his fourth year, you could look at a franchise tag or you could look at extending him this upcoming year rather than putting that fifth year as a guarantee on the books already. I just thought that was a little over-aggressive based on how he's played so far. Probably wouldn't have done it. It is It is definitely a toss-up. Like You could definitely make an argument that it's the right thing to do. I just would have probably leaned on the other side and knock on that direction, but they're putting their faith in Darnell Savage. And I hope that that pays off. And I'm certainly rooting for him. Like I think, like I said, there's a lot of good there. And I still think he can be a very big impact player for this defense. And listen, like there's, there's a chance like that. The other 10 players playing ahead of him are potentially all better than him right now. Like Amos and the corners, the linebackers, the edge rushers, the defensive linemen, you can make an argument that he's the 11th best player on that starting defense. And listen, if he's your 11th best, you are in a very, 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 very good position to be in. But if all of a sudden he steps up and he starts playing really well, man, look the heck out. And you could make an argument like, listen, like, With everyone else playing really good football around him, that a lot of times elevates the level of players, right? And if Savage is seeing everyone else play at a really high level, maybe that elevates his game. And that's certainly within the realm of possibility, too. So I am really intrigued to see how this pans out with Savage, but I think that could end up being a mistake. But that one is going to take a little bit of time to play out.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate.
1: Number six, not adding a veteran edge rusher. And I really like Preston and Gary on the outside. I think Kingsley and Igbari was a really good fifth round pick, but like Whitney Merciless just had so much potential to be that veteran edge rusher. And of course you would have loved to seen a full year out of healthy Zadarius Smith a season ago as well. I go back to this all the time though. You had Gary and Preston as starters last year, and then they go out and then in comes Tipa and Jonathan Garvin. And the drop-off was tremendous. And you can make an argument that maybe Enigbare is a little bit better and maybe, you know, Randy Ramsey comes back and plays better, or maybe Tipa or Garvin take a little bit of a step. Ladarius Hamilton's a very interesting player as well. Maybe one of those guys takes a step and that's great. But the 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 difference and the the step down still from Gary and Preston is big. I just think there was a lot of options out there, whether it's a Melvin Ingram, a Jerry Hughes. There are a variety of guys that I think would have fit the bill really, really well as that veteran edge rusher. And I think they maybe made a mistake by not going in that direction. This is probably the point to point out as well that yes, I get it a million percent. That of course, I'm sure Brian Gutekunst would have loved to to have added another really nice secondary player. And a really good punter, and a legitimate number one wide receiver on offense, and a veteran swing tackle, and like uh, a veteran edge rusher, right? I'm sure he would have loved to have had unlimited funds to go out and get all of those players. And it's very clear and obvious that they don't have unlimited funds. They had to pick and choose what things were the most important to them and attack those and see what fell to them in the draft, etc. So I fully understand that Green Bay doesn't have unlimited funds here. There is a salary cap and they can't just go out and spend, but there were avenues to open up a little bit more money. And in this era where Green Bay is in the all-in era to try to get another Super I just think there were a couple things that they could have done, and there are things that they still can do. Once again, I want to be clear on that. The offseason isn't over. Um, and I would like to see that. I'm not expecting them to address all of these, right? I don't think that's realistic, but a couple, and it's certainly like, you're not going to get a number one wide receiver at this point or not number one weapon that you can significantly count on. And that's okay. But I do think there's a couple pieces, veteran swing tackle, veteran edge rusher, veteran corner slash safety. I think there's a couple things that on vet minimum sort of, cl- or at least close to that sort of deals that they can still add a layer of competition and maybe just a little bit more experience experience at some of those positions. Number seven is letting Mike Smith get to Minnesota. And this is a difficult one, right? Because they may have been doing Mike Smith a little bit of favor because remember he came over to coach with Mike Patton, who was his good friend. And then Mike Patton gets fired or doesn't get retained. And Mike Smith is still here, his contract's up. And Mike Smith might've just said, Hey, I want to go coach with Mike Patton again. Or like, I'm not interested in resigning. Like the, Like at that level, right? This isn't like your defensive coordinator. Like it's just a you know outside linebackers coach. So if he wants to go somewhere else, so be it. The reason I think this could ultimately end up being a little bit of a mistake is because he just seemed very integral in the development of Rashawn Gary. And I would have loved to have seen Mike Smith really around for maybe at least like one or two more years to really just finalize that development of Rashawn Gary rather than Gary now have to have a new outside linebackers coach kind of finish him as a product, right? And he's so close. He's so talented. He's so darn good already. I just would have liked to have seen maybe one to two more years with Mike Smith just to kind of see that through to completion. And it should be noted, it's not to say that maybe he learned everything he needed to from Mike Smith. And now he gets a couple of new tricks from the new outside linebackers coach. That's possible as well. But Rashawn Gary's been on record of saying how important Mike Smith has been in his development. And it just felt like if they could have kept those two together for a couple more years, like Rashawn really just had, I think, a little bit even better chance to reach his ceiling and just become that really dominant player that he's so close to becoming. So that could be a mistake. And then, of course, the fact that he goes to Minnesota uh, isn't great either. But again, Green Bay may have been doing him a little bit of a solid by letting him go and not try to retain and those sort of things. And there's two sides to that story as well, but it would have been great to see Mike Smith in Green Bay for a couple more seasons. And then last but not least, uh, Brian Gutekunst and Matt LaFleur. We are not talking enough about extensions for either of them, both Guti and LaFleur. It is past time, in my opinion. Guti's, I believe, in the last year of his deal, from what I can tell. LaFleur's got a little bit of time left, but It is time to extend LaFleur and Gudekinst. They're coming off back to back to back 13 win seasons. I know they don't hang banners for 13 win seasons, but if you missed my episode yesterday on the culture and the vision that these two have built for Green Bay, there is a really strong foundation here. There is a ton of talent. There is a Super Bowl caliber roster. There has been now since Brian Gutekinds has basically gotten here and since Matt LaFleur has basically gotten here. The turnaround that Goody did from the lack of, you know, sort of talent and depth that this team had when he took over to what they have had over the last three years and going into this season, I think has been noticeable I think they're both doing a tremendous job and it is time to get both of these extensions done because you don't want either of them going anywhere and those extensions are important and they're only probably going up in price by the day. So not that either of them cost anything against the salary cap and the Packers as an organization have plenty of money to pay both of them. So whatever money they get doesn't really affect you as a fan, Uh, but they're both more than deserving and you'd like to see those contracts locked in for the foreseeable future. That is going to do it for me today. Thank you so much for joining me. I always appreciate it. I'll be right back here tomorrow with an all new episode, but until next time, and as always, go PacGill.